0: You are busy, you are always on the go, but are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us.
1: Hey guys, this is for you, the listeners of the Daily Brew podcast. I want to tell you about Audible. Audible's offering a free audiobook download, and they're offering it with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their great service. Get free audiobook download and free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash dailybrew. I like listening to the Chronicles of Narnia audiobook
0: with my daddy. You don't always measure the growth of the church
1: by how many more people have been added to the roster. Nor by how much you have increased your budget. The scriptures use the language of the body to depict the church as a vital and vibrant organism, a living organism, rather than just an organization. Now we're real good at gathering like these, you know, and having having these sermons and and singing songs, but.
2: Is the action, you know, are we, are we loving each
0: other to where the world is amazed?
1: We've got to risk disagreement. Disagreement is not the worst thing. Disagreement is the price you pay to make sure you actually know what you're talking about and, and, and clarify, and, and you can, you can be in a disagreement and love each other all the more for it. Uh, I have Christian brothers who will challenge me and whom I challenge, and at the end of it, we worship God more faithfully together because of this.
2: This is... The Daily Brew.
0: This is The Daily Brew. I'm your host, Adam Hall, and this is my co host, Jeremy Thornburg. Hello. We are a Christian podcast that examines various biblical and cultural issues through the lens of Christ. Uh, this week on The Docket, we have uh, an incredible interview with Kevin Van Hoosier. He has a new book, um, Scriptural Authority After Babel, and then we're going to be talking about the, the issue of unity. One of the main themes in his book, and uh, one of the main themes we think that's uh, neglected in the church today, is unity. Um, So we're just going to go ahead and dive into this topic and talk about uh, why is unity important? What does it look like? And I'll go ahead and start off with um, one of the things with unity that really influenced me and really uh, set my mind to thinking about the issue is uh, uh, Mark Driscoll. I know he's kind of a bad word to to say nowadays, but um, he talks about how... um, there's really three categories. There's primary issues, secondary issues, and thirdary issues. Well, primary issues being like the gospel. Um, we we would definitely want to unify, especially in regards to a church. We want to make sure we unify in in the realm of the gospel. Well, um, with a secondary issue, what's a, what's something that you have as a secondary issue? Well, that may be something like uh, baptism. Well. We, we recognize that other believers, because we agree on primary issues, we recognize maybe our Presbyterian friends um, or Lutheran friends, we recognize that they are believers because they agree with us on the gospel, but they may not be members of our church, so... Uh, secondary issues may be something that you set apart for uh, to say, hey, we recognize that they're believers, but we're not going to unify them or unify with them in regards to membership, because we see in Scripture there's a command to for, for believers to be baptized, so we want to make this a mark of our confession to say that only baptized believers can be a part of our church, and Presbyterians do the same thing, but on the counterpart. Um, they, they say that uh, you can baptize infants, so they make that part of their confession. Um, so, the secondary issues there, and then I would say third dairy issues, uh, if, you, if you want to make up the word third dairy, um, would be something like um, maybe speaking in tongues or maybe uh, in times or something of that nature where you may di- you may have members of your church that disagree on these topics. So you'll have uh, members within your church who hold to these different point of views. We recognize them as uh, disagreements, but it's not something that we're willing to divide over. Um, So I would use those three categories I've always found those three categories as helpful Um, What do you you think, Jeremy?
1: Um, I I think those categories are real helpful Because in in, in the Christian life You you have issues, like you said That um, you may disagree on the issue But it's something that's so core to Christianity That to not believe it is to Essentially deny the gospel itself Um, That would basically Let's say um, say that's Jesus' death and resurrection you know, that, that first category, if you can't say, um, if, if somebody can't affirm this, then they're outside of Christianity. And then, like you said, that second, and third category, you're getting into um, denominational differences. And then by the time you hit the third category, you're in, um, you know, mainly end times, things that you can go to church with a person. Um, and uh, you may disagree, you may have good discussion on it, but uh, those those issues aren't essential to what we hold dear. My, my question, and uh, th- this might be a fun little sidebar, would be um, what about, uh, um, I don't know, uh, th- th- there's some issues that I think kind of fall in between. I think the three categories is helpful, but there's some issues I think that kind of fall between two. Like, for example, what would you um, – uh, you know, Adam. Let's say, where would you stand on, uh, let's say, complementarianism? You know, uh, together for the gospel, you have to affirm and be a complementarian to be a part of it, and yet there are solid Christians that aren't.
0: Yeah. So, um, in regards, to, like something like complementarianism, I can see where there may be like a, a small like. <laughs> Maybe adding a, like a, an argument to add an additional category. So I would still say like believers are... I don't think it's a gospel issue, I would say. like I think it's possible for a person to not be a complementarian and be a believer. Um, there are many solid scholars um, who are not complementarian. Um, I would argue that they're maybe inconsistent. So I'd almost put that... I don't want to make it a secondary issue... I don't. I don't know. Like that's that's an interesting question. That was, that's the, those are the
1: ones that are hard for me because there are a few issues where I'm like, okay, I, you know, we can disagree on this as Christians. I think this could lead down a bad road, but we can, you know, you. Know, for example, I would hold, um, you know, maybe it might just be um, a category difference, but like I, I hold tongues up there uh, just about. It. If you're going to practice, I mean, the difference between practicing tongues and not practicing tongues, it, it makes a big difference in your your ecclesiology and your church life. You can have a disagreement on your views of it, but what about the actual practice of tongues like in your church?
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that as as something <laughs> difficult. The thing, like for example, the thing I want to I would steer away from, like what. Exactly, like you're saying. Let me actually go back on this. So, you, I could see it being a secondary issue, and I could also see it being like even a thirdary issue. So, like if if you have people coming into the church and it becomes a distraction, I would think that's where Paul's argument is uh, that they should cease from it altogether because it becomes a distraction. Or if an unbeliever comes in the church, they should cease from it. But they would argue that it's, it should be a practice within the church. So I can almost see that being a secondary issue where you may um, someone may want to make that part of their, their constitution. But the problem I have with making it part of a constitution, like I know, for example, to be part of a, the Sovereign Grace Network, um, you actually have to affirm speaking in tongues. But I think the danger of that is, if that's part of your church confession, you're almost making it as a primary issue rather than a secondary issue. So are, are you saying then that a person has to speak in tongues in order to be a member of your church? So if it it just it makes a, a line that's it's really hazy for me. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does.
0: So like I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with making it like a secondary or even a thirdary issue, but to say that you have to be um, to practice this in order to be a member, like maybe have that as a as something that you do for the leadership of your church, but to make that part of your confession. It's similar to the London Baptist Confession. This is one of my—I guess I could probably clear up my position here a little bit better here. and I may even be inconsistent in my own position, so I'm open for that as well. But uh, the London Baptist Confession, I love the London Baptist Confession, but one of my critiques of it is it adds in times. Um, uh, so you have to be an all millennial, and you also have to hold to the fact that the Pope is the Antichrist. Well, a lot of churches will make the the Second London Baptist Confession their church confession, and my problem with that is you have to affirm that in order to be a member. So not only do you have to f- affirm the core tenets of the faith, but you also have to uh, you also have to believe that uh, all millennialism is the correct end times position. So you're making a third dairy issue, and then I would say. I don't even know what category you'd make. The Pope is the Antichrist. Is that a fifth dairy issue? Like, can we have differing views of uh, of who the Antichrist is or in that regard? Well,
1: we today, Antichrist, it's actually Chad Kroger from
0: Nickelback. <laughs> Based <laughs> off recent scholarship in the past uh, 400 years we have actually come to find that out so yes. we have uh, moved on we have moved on
1: from uh, from the pope the popery of uh, being the antichrist
0: yes chad, chad croker he is basically ruining everything i mean let's just be honest here <laughs> I, I did not expect that by the way yeah, that it's been so long since i've heard a chad croker joke that it just it threw me for a loop
1: I didn't even start this episode thinking of a Chad Kroger joke. It just Antichrist came up, and I go Chad Kroger. Chad. <laughs> if they redo so Adam,
0: the me, so, if they redo uh, the Left Behind series, I think they may talk that toss that in for the theme song when he when he's like presented out or he comes out of uh, out of hiding.
1: Nikolai Carpathia's Chad Kroger in, in Latin.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: So here, here's a question. You know, we got to uh, we got to talk to Dr. Van Hooser and um, something that was fascinating about that we're going to hear a little bit in the conversation we had with him, but something fascinating about his book that I, you know I think would be fun to talk about was um, oftentimes you hear Catholics um, Catholics will tell you that they have this unity that it goes back to the Apostle Peter. You know, the the church is going to build uh, the the church will be built on Peter and on him as a person. He's the first pope. Things like that. And there's Basically, going down, they say going down to two thousand years. They have all this unity within their church, and Protestants are this divided group. So, um, what what do you see? Um, how how do you see Protestants uh, united, even though there are so many Protestant denominations? What's what's some practical ways we can unite with um, you know, than us that they have us.
0: Yeah, I would say there's several different things that we can do. Like for example, with our Presbyterian brothers, uh, very often Baptists and Presbyterians will unite for, let's say, um, for mission projects, or they might unite to do unite to do community effort. So um, there's several things that we can unite on. We can gather together frequently for meals. We can uh, encourage, pray for our, our Presbyterian brothers. Um, very much, we're very much like minded in many different ways. So there's a lot of things that we can do together, and we want to encourage that unity. One of the main, let me bring this up as a point, one of the main points for this unity, and why do we even discuss unity, why don't we just separate with everyone, is that a major theme throughout the New Testament is unity. And Ironically, I heard a lecture a while back that actually uh, unity is talked about more in the New Testament than justification. It's not saying that justification is not important. It very much is, I would say, the root and the heart of our unity, but the topic of unity is a major theme in the New Testament. Paul in Ephesians five calls uh, believers to be one, as God Himself is one. In the in Judaism, the John three sixteen of Judaism, it's called the Shema. It's Deuteronomy six four. It says, "The Lord God is one." This is one of the first verses they'll memorize, and I think that's what Paul's picking up on when he says that we are to be one because God himself is one, is that the heart of the Christian community, the reason we're to be one just as God is one, is because our unity reflects the fact that God himself is one. So it's not just a, a thing that, hey, we should only align with people who are exactly like us, and we should disregard everyone else. We shouldn't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we definitely need to draw these lines of where do we unify, when do we don't. Like, for example, Roman Catholics, I would argue the reason we don't unify with them is we do differ on the gospel we do differ, Uh, we agree on uh, some of the core essentials, but when it comes to justification by faith alone, that's where we differ, and that's a major issue that's an issue where we we recognize the fact that we differ on a core essential of the faith so we may still unify for example, Jeremy and I were talking about this earlier um, before the podcast is there's certain things that you can unify with even non-believers or Roman Catholics with, like for example uh, around a political season, when political seasons come up, we can agree with our uh, with Mormons that uh, abortion is wrong and maybe unite with them to fight against abortion even though we disagree on the gospel. We're not going to call them believers, we're not going to say they're our brothers because they're not but we can recognize the fact that hey, they agree with some things that we agree with and we can Unite with them and still make a hard line distinction, but there are times when it is safe to unify with them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are people that can that can be your political friends, and uh, but but yet they're not Christians. Um, like you said, it could be abortion, it could be a, a, a lot of issues, the size of government, things like that. But yeah, you, you're right. Um, the, the issue there is not so much Christian unity, but it's uh, it's really just common grace. You, you know, abortion is the murder of a of a child, and if, if an unbeliever or an atheist, agnostic, Mormon, whoever, if they can see that just based off what we we have just from common grace, then there should be no reason that we can't, at least on that issue, unite with them. You know, we're not going to worship alongside them, but we can come together. You know, in the in the public sphere and and have a have a conversation. About that topic.
0: Okay, we're gonna we're gonna twist it up a little bit, adding something new, and we may add this in in All the right. future. So I'm gonna a key to the game show music right about here, and now I'm gonna ask you a couple questions, Jeremy, and I want you Does to. Grow, yesterday, you an Alex Trebek mustache out for this. Yes, I've I've grown the the, the Tom Selleck, which is even greater than Alex oh. Trebek. Yeah. So oh, this great. is this is a far greater mustache. It's it's the the mustache that I look forward to that. So first I'll question for you. Ooh, wow, yeah, that's that's. I'm gonna pull out the Ron Swanson Trump card on this one. <laughs> yes. Okay. So tough questions for you. I need I need simple answers, not long drawn out ones. I just want a straightforward okay. answer. Okay. Let's well, say you're creating a church from the ground up. You've your church has now been built. You have uh, people in your church building up. RC Sproul decides to move to your church, you being a Baptist, do you allow him to become a member of your church? Yes or no? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if if he if he would
1: like to be baptized as an adult, then yes.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay, question number two.
1: I have to I have to be consistent, I have to do it. Yeah. I love RC Sproul. R.C. Sproul, I love you. <laughs>
0: Question number 2. Okay, one Sunday you're preaching in your church and in walks John Frame around the time of communion. Do you allow John Frame to take communion at your church? It's a simple yes or no question. Even a baby could answer it. That's my that's my Harry Carey impersonation by the way. I know I... her. <laughs> So,
1: um, he, here's how I would view that. I'll give, I'll give a quick, I'm going to give a quick, answer because I know this isn't a long drawn out one. Um, yes, um, I'm not going to police it. I'm going to, as a Baptist, I'm going to say he need to be a baptized adult. I'm going to give the warnings. Uh, obviously, a believer, baptized adult. Um, you know, if he's just here one Sunday, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. Um, I'm not going to police it. That's between. His conscience and God... I, there, there's people that walk in all the time that I don't know or live life with, and I, I don't I don't think it's my job to police the table. I think it's my job to give the warning and let it fall on the, the person to take it after I've given the warning. Does that make sense?
0: Okay, okay. I agree okay. with that. There you go. Okay, so... Oh, so hard. I don't know. Third question. Okay. You've got uh, Elder Joseph Smith... Young knocks on your door and he wants to know if you will join his campaign sign his petition to help fight injustice done to minorities in the downtown heart of his community do you sign the petition and help him with this endeavor yes or no are
1: we talking financial help or what kind of help are we talking here
0: it's an ecumenical effort no money is involved. You... You have Elder Joseph Smith Young. Um... And then you also have, um... Mary... Paul... <laughs> What's the last one? Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore. Paul II. <laughs> I'm making up the names as I'm going. Um, who is also in this endeavor. They've unified together to fight this uh, atrocity downtown. Would you join the effort?
1: This is not a a cop-out. Yes. Um, It it depends what they want me to agree to. If they're wanting me to go down and, I mean, if they want me to picket it, I'd have to hear them out first. But, I mean, as long as they're not asking me to change where I stand or for my church to change their doctrinal views on something uh, or where we stand, I, I don't see a problem.
0: Okay, okay. Last and final question. It's the the double jeopardy. I don't think we're allowed to use double jeopardy phrase, so we'll call it something else. Which I don't know what we'll call, triple, but triple jeopardy. the triple. This is the triple jeopardy question for you. Okay. Man walks into your church and wants to join your praise band, and his name is Chad Kroger. Do you let him join? And you don't let the Antichrist in your church That's that's a great response Thank you for playing the game today
1: You're most welcome and the rest of his are demons.
0: <laughs> So with that in mind We're going to go ahead and sum up Our section for today now, We have an incredible interview with uh, Kevin Van Hoosier, he's a professor at Trinity Divinity School. He's written Every book he has written is amazing. So if if you uh, have a chance, just buy them all. Don't even uh, look at the he's title. I'm kidding.
1: They, they really are
0: amazing. Just read them all. So we're going to go to that. Thank you guys for joining us today. It's been a joy.
3: We are here with uh, Dr. Van Hoosier. He is a professor at Trinity Evangelical, uh, Divinity, or, I'm sorry, Evangelical Divinity School. And he has recently published a book, Biblical Authority After Babel. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, have been, uh, both of us have been reading through your book, and we just had a, a couple of questions about your book and about the topic. It's very interesting. I know that um, whenever people think about the Reformation and, and study the Reformation, it's usually either in a positive light if you're from the Protestant standpoint, or a, a negative light if you're from the Roman Catholic standpoint, but... um your book kind of starts off with the topic of, uh, is, uh, Sola Scriptura and, uh, just goes through the, the Reformation, uh, the different souls of the Reformation and how some people argue that it leads to postmodernism. Can you kind of explain that idea and how uh, the thoughts of, uh, Sola Scriptura and the priesthood of all believers kind of lead to the idea, how some argue that it leads to the idea of, uh, postmodernism?
4: Sure. And, uh, um... I, the only thing I'd add at the beginning is that some of the people questioning the Reformation these days are Protestants. You know, I have heard people who are Protestants say they aren't sure if they can genuinely celebrate the Reformation because they think it's responsible for so many terrible things in our world. But the basic idea is this. Um, Alistair McGrath, a, a church historian, thinks about sola Scriptura, the idea that Scripture alone is the authority for the church, And then if you pair that with Luther's idea of the priesthood of all believers, uh, you get the idea that the supreme authority for the church is in the hands of individual believers who can read it and interpret it for themselves. And McGrath, even though he's a Protestant, speaks of this as Christianity's dangerous idea. And a lot of people have said this idea that Scripture is the supreme authority and that everyone is his or her own priest, They say that's a recipe for chaos, not consensus. And then they point to church history and the fact that there are some 30,000 Protestant denominations, and then you quickly get the charge that the Reformation opened up a Pandora's box that is responsible for, well, some people say secularization, some people say schism, and some people say pervasive interpretive plurality. But the, the main problem is anarchy. And so my book was written to try to face that charge, to see, you know, if there's any truth in it, and what we might want to say back.
3: That is very helpful.
4: Another question that we had:
3: um, I know that you mentioned in there, in discussing the reformers, they weren't necessarily against tradition. Um, that wasn't their critique, and their um, I think they're against with Rome, but their their main thing was uh, Rome being about Rome. in in the focus of uh, the popery and everything of that nature, um, that the Reformers are very much tied to tradition. Um, How can we as a church be both tied to tradition but also hold to sola scriptura? How can we balance the two um, so that it's, it's not scripture alone divorced from church history, but it's also not just tradition and history alone?
4: Right. That's a great question. And I think the Reformers should be our role models as far as how we balance these two. So you're right. Uh, Many people think the Reformers rejected church tradition, but they didn't. What they rejected was their immediate uh, situation where there were uh, man-made traditions coming out of the medieval, late medieval Roman Catholicism. They were late additions, you see, and uh, the Reformers wanted to go back to the early church. They wanted to affirm the great creeds, both Luther and Calvin, are content simply to quote Augustine and say, he got it right, I don't need to say anything more. So they were both, uh, they were both concerned to show that you can affirm tradition uh, and therefore be a Catholic in the true sense, not a narrow Roman Catholic, but a Catholic that really does affirm with the whole Church uh, the orthodox reception of Scripture. But at the same time, the Reformers did want to say all human tradition has, at best, a secondary authority. It's all under the supreme authority of Scripture. And the image I like to use to explain the relationship, uh, um, you know, we at nighttime we can walk by the light of the moon, especially if it's a full moon, mm-hmm. but the light the moon gives us, it's all reflected, right? It's, it comes from the sun. And so I like to compare Scripture to the sun, the true source of light, and then I compare tradition to the moon. Tradition can give off real light, but whatever light it gives off ultimately is the light of Scripture.
3: That is very helpful. I know Jeremy has a couple questions for you as well, so I'll pass it with him, and then we have one or two fun questions for you as well.
4: Okay.
2: Um, uh, Dr. Van, um, on, uh, on page 219, you had um, you had um, laid out an argument that uh, Protestants and Evangelicals need one another, and oftentimes you'll get you know a person in one camp that disavows the other, and you'll you'll hear the confessional Protestants just say, "I want nothing to do with Evangelicalism," and, and vice versa. Um, could you share with our listeners um, why it's important that both of these groups need one another within Protestantism?
4: Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Um, What I argue is that what Protestants have for evangelicals is a long confessional tradition. They often have catechisms as well as statements of faith. They often have institutions like denominational churches. And in the book, I I talk about um, churches as homes, and I suggest that homes are there for nurturing believers. And I see the great Protestant traditions as homes. On the other hand, what evangelicals bring is energy and passion and and piety, right, where evangelicals have rediscovered the goodness of the gospel and they are keen to express their devotion and discipleship and so on. And my suggestion is, we know that mainline Protestantism is, is getting old, the home of Protestantism, these old homes are getting creaky. They need repair. And also, they're more empty than they used to be. So why not give these fervent uh, evangelicals who don't always have a tradition to guide them, why not give them homes? And then why not fill these homes, these empty homes and these decrepit homes in some cases, with people who are able to appreciate the shelter they give, the nurture they offer, but who also have the energy to repair them. Mm. Uh I think in the book I say something like you know uh Protestantism without uh you know evangelicalism gets a little dry but evangelicalism without Protestantism isn't quite sure where to go which way to go confessionally. So the I, the proposal was this would be a marriage made in heaven if they could get together. <laughs>
2: Um my my other question, Dr. Van Hooser. Um in, uh, in in the fourth chapter, and I know it's a lot to just lay out, but uh in the fourth chapter you lay out the role of the local church. Um you lay it out with believers as a role of priesthood. Um could you have yeah. to explain for our listeners the, the church's significance and role um, in building this mere Protestant Christianity that you're arguing for?
4: Yeah, that's a great question because you know there is no official sola <laughs> in the uh, of Sola Ecclesia, that is, in the list that I am dealing with, you know, we know grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Typically, Protestants don't say the church alone. But what I want to say is that if the church is a royal priesthood, then we could see the church, the local church I'm thinking of, as alone the place where Christ rules, the Mm -hmm. place where the risen Christ gives gifts, gifts of the Spirit, officers like prophets and teachers for the building of his people. So I think the church is very much a part of the gospel message. That is, Paul says the gospel is that the dividing wall of hostility has come down between Jews and Gentiles. There is oneness in Christ. There is the people that God was intending to form all along, you know, in Israel this holy nation, this set apart people, the church is that. And that's why I suggest that uh, the church is really part of this uh, gospel message, that there is a place on earth where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, and Christ rules over these local congregations.
3: Mm, that's very helpful. We had one or two fun questions. Uh, Jeremy may have a few more, but just for time's sake, I know we got one or two fun questions for you. Um, whenever you're not writing or teaching uh, or lecturing, what do you do uh, with your family for fun, or what do you do for fun?
4: Well, uh, we enjoy going to uh, classical music concerts. We're season holders to uh, the theater. You know, I've, in my work, I've often compared the church to a theater yes. and <laughs> talked to dramatic development. So we, we, I'm a theater goer. I also read lots of novels, um, in part to understand the world I'm living in, to understand people who are not like me, um, and so I think, what did I say, music, theater, novels, those would be uh, some of the main things. also um, foreign and independent films, uh, just a different way of exploring parts of the world and, and worlds that I, I don't live in myself.
3: Very cool. And in regards to writing, do you have any favorite writers, whether that be... Historic, modern, theological, fictional. Um, oh, can you give us a uh, couple of each, maybe?
4: How long do we have? <laughs> 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 I, think I have to mention uh, C.S. Lewis. I have to mention C.S. Lewis because he does it all. He does fiction uh, and he does nonfiction in a very compelling way. I appreciate him as a thinker and as a writer. I appreciate his imagination and his mind. Uh, I've appreciated his writing on theological topics, even though he was himself a professor of literature, and then, of course, I appreciate, uh, you know, the world he has created and and the truth we find in Narnia, Uh, so Lewis would be one person. Then, as far as theological writers, I I would have to mention the late John Webster, a professor of theology in Scotland. Um, His writing isn't like Lewis's, but it's extremely valuable he's able to say so much uh about the god of the gospel in, in such a rich way that i can go back and read his sentences over and over again and so his essays in particular are for me uh something like the daily bread of the theologian
3: mm. that's awesome and you like uh wendell berry by any chance or no, you like novels I-
4: I do like Wendell Berry. He also uh, is a double threat. He can do fiction and nonfiction, and he writes very compellingly in each genre. Uh, Berry is sort of important to the whole family. Uh, He's helped us to see the importance of place and building community in a local place, and I've been able to relate a lot of his insights into place to the idea of the local church. So I have to say I view the church a little bit differently Thanks to having read Wendell Berry.
2: Amen.
3: Yeah, yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. This has been an incredible joy. Thank you for all your writing. I'm um, continually blessed by all the books you put out. It's been a blessing.
4: Well, it's been an honor to be here. Thank you very much. You have a good day, sir. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that this broadcast will be used to strengthen your faith and your love for the local church. Tune in next week when we interview Dr. Matthew Hall, of the Dean of Boyce College. And begin a new discussion on the topic of Christian education. The Daily Brew is a listener-supported broadcast. We exist because of generous donors such as yourself. If you're interested in having your business advertised on our show, please reach out to us through our Facebook page or our website at www.yourdailybrew.com.